Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Baylock. And I'm Jordan Pine. Today we're going to take a closer look at a well-known story from the New Testament. You've probably heard it many times, but this time we're going to invite you to put on your spiritual goggles and see its deeper meaning, perhaps for the first time. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. That was Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. As always, we'll start with the space method. SPACE is an acronym we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting an explanation of Scripture, E. Let's go ahead and apply the SPACE method here, Andy. Okay, so we see that the speaker is the Apostle Matthew. And again, this is the Gospel of Matthew, his account of the good news in, in Scripture in our Bible. Matthew was not present on the Mount of Transfiguration, as we read. But as we see in verse 1, Jesus only took Peter, James, and John. That's something critical for us to think about later. However, Matthew and the other disciples would have learned of such a miraculous event soon after it happened. I'm sure they reported it to their friends, their brethren. And of course, like all Bible authors, Matthew wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and you could read about that in 2 Timothy 3.16. The audience is multi-level. You know, with all the Gospels, this will be the case. It could be the unsaved, the saved, and those with the higher knowledge of the kingdom epinosis. Because, you know, the Gospel of Matthew is one of the most quoted books in the Bible. Believers and unbelievers alike have heard its message through wise sayings and just pieces of our language. For example, anyone would know the golden rule, which we find in Matthew 7, 12, 
do to others as you would have them do to you. And of course, every regular churchgoer knows the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. But like all the Word, you know, these verses are also encoded, if you will, with a deeper message for those with the spiritual ears to hear it. As for the context, it's important to remember that the chapter breaks in your Bible are not there in the original text. They are somewhat arbitrary. Um, There were no chapters or verses in the original text. Things just sort of flowed together. Notice, for example, that Matthew 17 begins six days later, which of course raises the question, later from what? Yeah, Jordan, several things happened in the previous chapter, but we want you to notice the very last verse before our scripture reading. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 28, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, backing this up, we see in Mark's version that there is no chapter break. We see in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, it reads, And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And then Mark 9, 2 reads, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Yeah, so there, there it's verse 1 and 2. There is no chapter break. In the Matthew version, there is a chapter break. And, and the point being, again, that none of these passages originally had these chapter and verse breakdowns. It's really added later on for our benefit so we can have these references and stuff. But when you're reading your Bible, it's always important to, to keep in mind that those, those breaks didn't, aren't actually breaks in time. They're just breaks for the ease of use. Yeah, you have to keep it in context. Right. So now we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture. We're ready to attempt an explanation. You know, this is an incredible story that appears in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all versions, there are these three special disciples who get to see Jesus transformed. Um, They see the cloud version of God form. I know that that was something from the Old Testament. We'll talk about that. And, And hear God's voice. And they also get to see these uh, ghosts, if you will, of these two famous prophets, Moses and Elijah. But the question is, did you ever wonder why? And why those two men and not, say, Abraham and Isaiah or any of the other heroes of the faith from the Old Testament? Well, let's get into it by breaking this down verse by verse. Okay, Jordan, so let's look at verse 1 first. And it reads, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So... Here's a question. Very simple. Why these three disciples? Well, here's some things we know about these disciples. You know, Peter was the first disciple chosen by Jesus, along with his brother Andrew. They were the first two chosen. And then another set of brothers, James and John, who we see here in this story, uh, were chosen second. Um, You know, those, those two brothers were obviously high enough in the disciple pecking order, if you will, right. that their mother felt it was appropriate to ask Jesus at some point if they could sit at his right hand and his left hand when he became king, and that's in Matthew 20, 21. Of course, John is also known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and uh, you know, he would go on to write the main book of prophecy in the Bible, the book of Revelation. So you know, the point is that these three guys represented the highest level among the disciples, the called out of the called, if you will those that would have the higher knowledge or epinosis necessary to understand what they were witnessing. Very good, Jordan. So now moving on to verse 2, it reads, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. So let me ask you, Andy, what is the significance of these two things? Like, again, we never gloss over phrases, right? These are descriptive phrases. His face shone like the sun, his garments became white as light. 
I think most people, including us at many points in our lifetime, would just sort of read that as descriptive and move on. But now now we know better. With the epinosis, we know that there's something deeper here. So what is the significance of A, his face shining, and B, his garments being white? Right. So first of all, for our listeners to realize, they represent something significant. There's typology that's obviously associated with these you know, specific descriptions that we see here regarding Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, that, quote, the skin of his face was shining. And that's in Exodus 34, 30. So, you know, Moses put a veil over his face. We read that. And then the scripture says that whenever he went in before the Lord to speak with the Lord, he would take off the veil until he came out. But then whenever he came out from the presence of God, the sons of Israel would see that Moses' face, the skin on his face was actually shining bright. And that's, again, Exodus 34, 34 to 35. Speaking of this exact matter, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us that this shining represents the glory of the Lord. It's actually the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So shining equals God's glory, and Jesus, we know, is God. So what about his white garments, Jordan? Okay, well, in Mark's version, it says something very interesting, Andy. It says, his garments became radiant and exceedingly white. And then it adds this little detail, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Amazing. That's Mark 9.3. So in other words, white garments are clean garments, cleaner than anyone could ever get them, right? Any launderer could ever get them. And in typology, we know that this represents purity and righteousness because Jesus is sinless. That's the purity part. And the righteousness we can also see in the Bible, uh, actually both are actually captured in the Bible's description in prophecy of the bride of Christ. That's in Revelation 19.8. It says, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Right, so we see what, righteousness there. Right. It represents that. It represents the righteous acts. That's amazing. So now let's go on to the very next verse, verse three, and it reads, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So let's look at these two prophets more closely, specifically Moses and Elijah. Now, speaking of Moses, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, and the Lord showed him all the land. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Or in other words, you shall not enter. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, being God, buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. And you could read all that and study that in Deuteronomy 34, 1, and then 4 through 6. Yeah, so the point that we wanted to draw out of here, we're going to get into a little bit of uh, scripture as you are, Andy is that Moses made it through the trials and tribulations of wandering in the desert for 40 years. Correct. And, you know, many, many during that time, if you go back and read your Old Testament stories, died because they lost faith, they cursed God, they, they worshipped idols. Many, many of the Israelites died during that period. But Moses always kept the faith. And as a result, he was allowed to live to see the promised land. And um, in, other, in other studies, we've gotten into why he could only see it and not enter. Don't want to get off on a digression there. But the point that um, you're driving at here is that um, after many trials and tribulations of, of the desert, Moses saw the promised land. Yeah, and I think it's important also to, to always remember, our listeners need to recall, that when Moses was still in Egypt, the time that he took the blood of the sacrificial lamb and posted it on his door and told others who were followers of God to do the same, that when the spirit of death was to pass over Egypt that evening, that anyone who had the blood of the lamb 
over their doorpost that they will be protected. It would pass over them. It would not affect their family. So in a sense, our salvation, our everlasting life, knowing that the penalty of sin is death, God passes over us. It actually does not judge us for our sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's type there. So moving on, we know that, and again, I'll be quick. Moses, from there, took the people, took Israel, brought them through the Red Sea and into the land with the hopes of being able to worship God freely, to set up altars and worship and praise him, and God would be their king and their God. But unfortunately, because of, again, like you mentioned earlier, because of time, we're we're not going to get into details, but because of some of the sins that Moses actually well, I don't know if I'd call it sin. It was more of him breaking typology mm-hmm. um, in a sense. Because of that, God knew what he did. He was not allowed into the promised land. So again, it's something for us to realize. And I think that's a, a key point to understand is that it doesn't mean that the people in the land were doomed for hell or separated from God because God doesn't kind of like backtrack on his, on his promises and he doesn't backtrack on his typology. It was something more. There was something representative there uh, that Moses did not get into. And I think that also coincides with our teaching today on this Mount Transfiguration. Yeah, I mean, so we'll, we'll stop teasing you. If you're really interested in this whole thing, it, what happened was Moses struck the rock and the rock was a type of Christ. If you want to study that, um, just you know, send us an email, go on the website right. at multik.org, send us an email, subscribe. And one of the things we send back as free content is this thing, 10 mind-blowing things you didn't know were in the Bible. Yes. In that series, we have a specific lesson on the type that Moses broke and why he was not allowed to enter. Um, but, you know, so anyway, getting back to just the, the, the representation of who Moses was, he also, it's important also to note here that he died. You know, he, he is a Old Testament saint who died, and that's going to become important as we get into Elijah, which is next. You know, um, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, it says the following about Elijah. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. We could talk a whole lesson on double portion. We'll skip over that. You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces, which was a symbol of mourning for someone who had moved on to the next life. Yeah, so Jordan, a key point here for our lesson, and you kind of alluded to it earlier when you focused on saying Moses, is key to remember that Moses died. But here we see Elijah did not die, right? right? The key point is that he was raptured. He was taking up. So... What does that mean? Well, we can answer our key question, why was it Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration? There was something that each of them represented. And the answer is that they symbolized the two groups of believers who will return with Christ Jesus when he comes in glory. And let's talk about that a little bit. So Elijah obviously represents the raptured saints, and we use saints in the correct uh, meaning of that word, which means anyone who is saved, sanctified. So he represents the raptured saints, the church. Who those will, who are alive when Jesus comes. Those comes who are back. alive, um, right, and will, and will be raptured. And then, of course, Moses represents those who are saved under the law. Moses, the lawgiver. More importantly, again, I mentioned that he died. So he represents um, those who believe and die and are resurrected. And he also represents the tribulation saints because 
They are a group of people who will suffer for seven years for Christ, much as Moses suffered trials and tribulations, and yet remain faithful. So, Andy, maybe you can sort of bring this all together. What, what exactly was it that the disciples saw in typological form? Okay, Jordan. So, you know, here's the gist of it. We've got Moses and Elijah present on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we see, obviously, Jesus in his glory. And it was a foreshadow of him coming back in his kingdom, his millennial kingdom, as the risen Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And, you know, this is the way we picture him in the Old Testament that the Messiah should be, not the way he did the first time, coming humble and suffering the suffering servant who died for the sins of the world. We know that this is a foreshadow of when he comes back the second time. Now we see Moses and Elijah, and of course, Peter kind of stumbles, I think, in fear and saying, you know, Lord, let me make three tabernacles. Let me make one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was kind of glorifying them. And, and, you know, really what was going on here was God was saying, uh-uh-uh, you're missing the point. Yeah, God cuts him off, basically, and says, yes. Listen, this is my son, listen to him. You know? Yes, yes, you're missing the, the picture here. I'm trying to teach you something. I'm giving you a glimpse of something great. So Moses, again, to reiterate what you said, represents all the dead in Christ, those who, who died as Christians, but will be resurrected and will see Jesus in his glory when he comes back. And then, of course, Elijah represents those who are alive at the time who will be raptured as well. Perfect, Andy. Thanks. Now let's continue reading in Matthew for a bonus lesson. Matthew 17, 9 to 13 now. It reads, As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Jordan, something really cool is going on. I mean, there's a mind-blowing time paradox happening here. If Israel as a nation had just accepted Jesus as their Messiah, the millennial kingdom would have started right then at that moment. But here in Matthew 17, Jesus reveals that if Israel had accepted him, John the Baptist would have been Elijah. It's kind of weird. So according to chapter 3 of Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist was the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he prophesied a voice, quote, crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And remember, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah, at hand being the key word. So finally, let's look closely at what Jesus says in Matthew 17, 11, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. So Israel rejected John the Baptist as Elijah, but he still needs to come to fulfill prophecy. That's the key point. When will that happen? Let's look at prophecy. Let's turn to Revelation 11 and look at verse 3. Okay, so I'll pick it up here, Jordan, and it reads, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. And then we jump to verse 6. These prophets have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Now, does that sound like anyone we know? Well, let's take a look, Jordan. Okay, so the two references we want to pull here are 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, which tells us something about Elijah. It says, Now Elijah said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, 
before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Exodus 7.20 reads, So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. And he, being Moses, lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. And then Exodus 9.13-14 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. You know, now we see the full significance of Moses and Elijah, according to the Old Testament scripture and also in Revelation. As mentioned, these two represent two types of groups of Christians. The first are the dead in Christ, or the saints that have already passed away, and then of course the raptured church, which are those who are alive. Elijah is essential to the prophecy. He must appear before the second coming of Jesus Christ, and he will appear during the great tribulation with Moses. And then after that, Christ will come in glory to rule and reign. In other words, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. Three disciples saw the future, the kingdom of God, something that would not happen until millennia after their death. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax-deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. A hopeless case, an empty space, if not for grace. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.